Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Make your winning move today and bet at my bookie. Use promo code Gators and claim your deposit match redeemable up to $1,000. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. And Gators Breakdown is proud to partner with America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com slash GatorsFree and use code GatorsFree for free breakfast for life with active subscription. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on social media at Gator Dave underscore SEC. Coming at you this Monday night, Florida suffers a loss to Florida State. And hey, on Saturday, the highlight was getting to hang out with Will Miles. Will Miles in person there. Dishing it out right there at the Harmonic Woods tailgate. Good. To, uh, well, I, I put on Twitter, good to see you in person and not behind a computer screen. Uh, you're still in the state. You have not. So if everybody's watching on the YouTube version, you, you see Will not in his in, a, in his normal spot there. But, hey, man, it was good seeing you there on Saturday. Wish the Gators would have got a victory. But uh, we got plenty to talk about. Never a dull moment for sure is, is the moniker of this podcast. We got firings already. We'll take a look back at the 23 season. We'll do a little peek ahead as well. Uh, but yeah, never a dull moment. No, definitely not. I, it's funny. So, you know, my son last year, Max, I brought him to the Utah game, Florida wins. We had some really nice seats where he was able to partake in all the ice cream he wanted. He was immediately hooked. This year, sort of a last minute seat buy, but we wound up real good seats, actually. And that kid was chomping the whole way through and screaming <laughs> the whole way through. And his voice definitely sounded different when he got back. So we, we got a true fan there. So if nothing else, that came out of the weekend and uh, certainly would have enjoyed to get the win. And, and he, he turned over to me when it was 12 nothing. He goes, I'm your good luck charm. And I'm like, did you ever watch this team? It's only the second quarter. Like, let's hold on. And it turns out that I was correct. Good though, but yeah, it was a good time. Good seeing, uh, good seeing Max there too, and your mom. Uh, oh, he tailgates yeah. harder than I do, man. He, he's, <laughs> he's, he's out there, he's out there mainlining soda like nobody's business. But no, it, it, was, it was great seeing you. Great seeing all those folks at it at the Harmonic Woods. I wish I could get down more often, but uh, you know, we'll we'll see what we can do. Maybe we can do it a couple of times next year. All right. Well, uh, two coaches we won't be talking about next year on staff will be uh, Corey Raymond and Sean Spencer. Uh, hey, of course, you know I tweeted out. Um, not long after it was announced. But, guys, if you did miss it, um, yeah, defensive back coach, Corey Raymond, Sean Spencer, defensive line coach, out 
uh, Billy Napier on this Monday, uh, making the first two moves. I don't think they'll be the last moves. Uh, I know a lot of people are saying, well, uh, how? okay, well, Gator Swag in the comments, if we're probably already missing it, he says Rob Sell is gone, so I'm going to have to like, turn back onto the uh, Twitter machine over here <laughs> we'll, and uh, figure that, but uh, we'll probably have to confirm that. Because uh, it's, hard, it's, hard, it's hard to keep your eyes into place. But anyway, I'll get your first reaction here, and then we'll, I'll go do some researching here. But hey, look, when you're as bad as this defense is, and I know the stature Corey Raymond has, and that's probably the biggest surprise here, but I mean... Nobody's safe on this defense from what we've seen the last two years. Uh, nobody should be safe. And uh, I know I, I got it thrown in my face a couple of weeks ago when I was kind of questioning where this development has been from this, this these cornerbacks. And uh, okay, so Gator Swag was asking if Rob Sale's gone. So yeah, yeah. look, I, I don't think this will be the last the last moves. We'll see. Um, but hey, look, uh, going back to this defense, yeah, no, nobody should be safe. Uh, I mean, look, you go back to his last couple of years at LSU and the LSU pass defense was not what you expect it to be uh, there from uh, Corey Raymond and LSU. And look, I mean, it's not like the recruiting has been on fire. It was a deep class last year. I like what Florida brought into the secondary. But look, Raymond was brought to or we thought or hoped he would be bringing in the the five stars and the can't miss cornerbacks. So Jakeem Jackson ended up rising in the rankings and was a really, really good cornerback uh, when the rankings were all said and done last year. But you know, you're looking for the big names, you're looking for the five stars, looking for the can't miss guys. And look, I didn't see a whole lot of development for a fi- former five star Jason Marshall. Jalen Kimber didn't get much better. Now maybe I saw some growth from Jaden Hill there at nickel. Uh, and you know, maybe he would have coached these young cornerbacks up, but you know, looking at what we have seen so far coming off of what happened late in this career at LSU as well, what can you really point to? I mean, look, this is a results-oriented business, right? And and Napier has said that. And, you know, there are plenty of people out there calling for Napier's head at this point and certainly calling for Austin Armstrong's. And if you're going to call for those guys' heads, it feels like you got to call for some of the assistants as well, considering that the defense just hasn't gotten any better over two years. I mean, Todd Grantham, for all of his faults, had defenses that were better than the ones we've seen the last two years at the University of Florida and other places. These guys don't have that track record. So, I mean, if you go back 2022, they were 87th in points per game allowed. They're 89th in 2023, 105th in yards per play allowed, 124th in yards per play allowed in 2023. In 2022, they were 98th in yards per rush, 118th this year, 103rd in yards per pass in 2022, 126th this year, 93rd in sacks per game, 1.8 and 87th this year in sacks per game. So they're not getting to the quarterback. They're not stopping the ball through the air. They're not stopping the ball on the ground. They're not stopping the ball from going into the end zone. I don't know what you want me to say other than good, we're going to try something different because what was happening, what was being tried was not working and things were even regressing, right? I mean, the tackling, I'll tell you what, like the Florida defense played the best they've played all year against Florida State. But Rotomaker missed a ton of open guys when you were looking. Like there were, it was basically one read, and if it wasn't there, the ball wasn't getting to anybody. And there were opportunities for Jordan Travis would have picked him apart. Is really what it sort of boils down to. And so I'm, I'm not like that's not necessarily a a knock on the defense. They did what they needed to do with the guy who was there for the most part. But at the same time, like the tackling. In some in some cases, was just atrocious. The run by Trey Benson, 
for the touchdown in, in the third quarter. It looked like nobody wanted to bring him down. It was like two-hand touch. I, I think I tweeted you or I, I texted you a picture of the Black Knight from Monty Python running into the, running into the guy saying that's what the defense looks like. And that's what it looks like. And look, when it, when things fundamentally go bad that that way – there's going to have to be there's going to have to be consequences and, and this is part of that and this is part of napier i think acknowledging that look next year isn't just like a hey we have to show some potential and hey we have to show some like small incremental improvement you need nine wins dude and that might not even be enough like, like well, we're good. that's a good point like people will bring up more oh, about this recruiting class and all that stuff that this tells me these moves are for next year this is billy napier knowing my job is on the line I well, might be on the hot seat, you know, and now can you get coaches that come in and improve it in year one? Because, I mean, that's pretty much what you need. But, I mean, look, I know as much as we talk about recruiting and stuff, yeah, it's important. And, look, I've always been as, as, as staunch as we are as recruiting. I've, I've never been the believer of keeping coaches for recruits. You know, you look in long game. But right now, I think, you know, during a coach's tenure, I think these these moves, at least to me, I maybe mean, I'm looking at it the wrong way, mean Billy Napier, no, he has to win next year. Well, I mean, look, the the entire Napier regime was always going to come down to DJ Lagway and how well he plays. If he comes in and he's starting right away next year and he's showing potential, then maybe the win loss win loss record doesn't matter extensively. But you can't go five and seven again. Yeah, right. You can't lose to all your rivals again. You're going to have to show progress. And irrespective of the level of talent that Florida has in the locker room right now and is bringing in, it's better than what they were doing on the field, right? Like to be 129th or 125th, or whatever it is in yards per play allowed, it's just preposterous yeah. for a Florida team that's bringing in top 10, top 15 classes all the time. And we can talk about youth and we can talk about all that sort of stuff, but geez, there are lots of places out there that are able to – to get a defense that's quasi-competent out there. And the thing that really I think I wrote in my post-game article for the Florida State game, but has been true all year, is that it doesn't feel like anyone fears consequences for not putting forth full effort on every single play. Because, you know, look, there were plenty of plays where the defense made fantastic plays against Florida State, but there were the few. There were the three or four where a guy throws a shoulder rather than wraps up. By the time you get to the 12th game of the year, like, you got to be wrapping up. And quite honestly, if guys aren't wrapping up, those guys need to sit. And we never really saw that all year long. So, you know, if you're not going to impose consequences on the players, then it has to be someone else's fault. And those consequences end up rolling uphill, and they've rolled uphill to to Raymond and and uh, Spencer at this point. And you know, I <laughs> I guess I look at it and I go, irrespective, you could bring if each of those guys was bringing in three five stars this year, you'd still sit there and go, yeah, but are they actually going to produce? Because you're looking at you know. These are four-star guys who are out there, right? This isn't like this isn't like they've got Vanderbilt's roster out there and they're putting up Vanderbilt numbers. So you're underachieving on the field. And if Napier needs to win next year, like let's say let's say he brings in a defensive staff that's able to get him to like 60th in the country. Like everybody's gonna be like, wow, the defense is so much better. And you know, the reality is, is it's probably just sort of coming back to the normalization of what the talent level dictates, but that's still going to make the team look way, way better just because you've gotten better results on the field. See, I think I agree with you in some respects, which is that, um, you know, this is about winning, but it's also just about getting production yeah. because at the end of the day, you can, you can like you and I both talk about recruiting as being a prerequisite to winning, right? but it's not the only thing to winning. And so if you bring in guys who, who, who come in and regress, well, 
you know, like if we had five-star performance from Jason Marshall all year long, this would have been a really, really good, or not a really good defense, but it would have been a heck of a lot better than it was. You didn't get that from the five-star guy who's out there. And I think at some point you got to look at those guys and say, hey, that it is what it is. Like Parcells used to say this all the time. You are what your record is. And the record is abysmal the last two years. Not just like average, not like below average, but like bottom of the barrel in the SEC and in the country on that side of the ball. Has to be changes. Has to be. Yeah, and, and well, you look at these two position groups, and these are the two position groups you probably group together in a whole lot of ways. Now, to go back and forth as well, the, you can't ask these guys to cover so much because, well, there's no pressure up front. Florida's not getting sacks, and your quarterbacks are really, really comfortable. And and, the, and they were better at getting sacks last year, of course, too. But the, the calling card of last year's defense was turnovers. You know, still not they were this great sacking team uh, last year. And then this year, they were abysmal at, at getting pressure on the quarterback. Did that affect the secondary somewhat? Sure, it did. Uh, absolutely did. If they were better up front, they'd been better on the back end as well. Uh, but I always go back, you know, Jason Marshall not being, you know, I, I think developed where he should have been. Kimber, I think Devin Moore is about the only guy that you could point to. He came about last year, but just can't stay on the field. So Corey Raymond doesn't really get the benefit of having him out on the field. But yeah, I think has proven when he is out there. Uh, he's one of the better better uh, playmakers in safety this year. You did have some good starts from Jordan Castell. Uh, then maybe he's kind of showing his freshman warts as the season went on. Bryce Thornton started playing more as the season went on as well. But the whole entire secondary uh, left a lot to be desired, and so did up front. You know, Florida had the you know, no fault of Spencer probably didn't have a whole lot of help in the middle last year with Dexter. Had to hit the transfer portal uh, so so much this year and. And they were okay in the middle there, but it's not the instant impact, all SEC performances. Now, I don't want to put that on Jackson and Bates coming in, uh, but I do. I did expect better play up front. Justice Boom going down probably hurts that a bit as well. Tyreek Sapp now having to play more out of position than you know where he was probably going to this season as well. But you know, I would just assume, um, given the performances, these two guys being uh, on the chopping block, that Billy Napier didn't like what he saw either uh, from, from these two position groups. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's done. Uh, you know, on the offensive side, of course, I think offensive line coaches come into to play here and, and see what Billy Napier does there. Maybe wide receiver coach as well uh, would, would be like Gonzalez. Uh, at the same time, uh, maybe not, not done on defense either. You know, Bateman, uh, you know, for, for linebacker, I think that was – a little more tough to get a gauge on Will because last year I thought Amari, Amari Bernie made huge steps uh, as a linebacker last year. He had an injured Vincel Miller. Then this year, I mean, Jamar James is your only true linebacker, really. Uh, when you throw in, um, you know, Scooby's really not. Wingo's not really. You had to bring in some transfers, so that that's how you had to get true linebackers on the field. But those guys only saw the field more because of Shamar James going down with injury. So. Uh, but look, as I said earlier, nobody on defense really should feel safe. If if they all have to go, then so be it. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But no coach should feel safe on that side. I think on the other side of the ball, more are coming as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I think anytime you go five and seven at the University of Florida <laughs> and you go six and seven the year before, people are going to start mumbling, right? And, um, you know, you, you and I talked to plenty of people, and I had, I had an opportunity to talk to plenty of people this weekend. And, you know, there, there's there's – the disconnect between what you see on the recruiting trail and the organizational structure and what you see on the field and the lack of organizational structure that appears to be on that side of the ball or on that side of the, of the program. And that's, that's problematic, right? Because at the end of the day, we care about recruiting, but only because it, it creates wins. 
<laughs> and so if, if the recruiting isn't creating wins, if the production isn't there, then at some point someone has to be held responsible for that. Um, you know, as far as like the, the defensive line, not being able to, not being able to get pressure, certainly that, that affects the secondary, but the secondary not being able to cover anybody for any length of time, allowing the defensive line to get there. If, you know, when was the last time we saw a coverage sack? for for florida's defensive line right it's really yeah. rare we haven't seen that at all so both of those both of those entities work symbiotically to make sure that that things are getting done the way they need to get done and and it and it just hasn't so far the other thing is is that i, I think it is worth remembering that austin armstrong came in late last year after patrick tony left for the cardinals and you know he's not some you think about like the way things work in like the nfl where if you have a head coach and they hire a new general manager you pretty much know that head coach is on borrowed time and because that head coach is because that general manager is going to be gauged by the progress that he sees. And when you start looking at this, Napier is on a second defensive coordinator selection with Armstrong coming in. You can't just change out defensive coordinators every single year. And to be honest, the defense last year was just as bad as it was this year. So is Armstrong really the problem? It, it's hard for me to say that Armstrong's definitively the problem, even though I didn't particularly like that hire. Now, it, to be fair to Armstrong, if he had conflicts with guys on the defensive side of the staff, and I don't have any inside information, so I don't know. But you know, if there are if there are conflicts, if there are differences in philosophy, if there are differences in terms of the way the, the way Armstrong wants it coached versus the way it's being coached, then obviously you need to make changes there. Not because Raymond or Spencer are teaching it wrong, but because they're not in alignment with the defensive coordinator. And that would actually make a lot of sense as to why the defense wasn't improving and why the defense was so bad. If you've got different voices that don't necessarily trust each other or aren't able to communicate consistently across each of the position groups, then that's going to cause problems. So, you know, look, Armstrong, I'm sure, is going to have a big hand in who gets brought in in these positions. And so then if the defense doesn't get any better, well, then then it'll be on Armstrong and, and it'll rightly be on Armstrong. Um, I think a lot of it can be on Armstrong anyway. Uh, but again, I think if you're just going to change out defensive coordinators every year, you're going to have problems just like you will, you know, just like the argument people are making for Napier where you can't keep changing head coaches every three years as well. Yeah, my worry there is Armstrong, that's one more worry of being a young DC. What is his... What is his tree like? What is his branches like? You know, like who is he coached with that has experience that you can trust that he's been around that? And I mean, of course, he's coached under some other guys, but are they going to come and be under him? That would be, uh, you know, that uh, probably one of the detractors of hiring another young DC is when you do have to make assistant hires under him. What who has he worked with and had an extensive timeline with that he's out there to go trust as well? So. Um, I think that's an interesting uh, angle to it. Hey, well, another interesting angle to this, too. LJ McCray, Amaris Williams, Kendall Jackson. There's your defensive line recruits right now. How much is Sean Spencer um, going away, uh, being let go, affect those guys? I did see LJ McCray as I was walking out of the swamp Saturday. Him and Austin Armstrong, uh, some big, you know, were in conversation uh, there. Amaris Williams was kind of heard about the flip rumors from him lately anyway. Uh, and then you have Kendall Jackson, but of course, uh, the big one in the secondary, uh, you start going and looking at David Filsamy, the five-star safety uh, there out of Texas. How does Corey Raymond leave and affect him? Uh, Josiah Davis, the other safety commit for Florida, pretty much tweeted out, my commitment is 100% open and immediately deleted it. And then I believe not long after that, uh, tweeted out that he's all good. <laughs> so, um, 
that's the 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 crazy thing um to, to go along with that so um yeah josiah davis did just tweet it i'm a, i'm staying loyal i'm not decommitting but there was a post that he did delete <laughs> that said my commitment is open. So it lets you know how fast it's already changed in just an hour and a half for two hours when this has been announced. But hey, with, um, with re- recruiting, of course, that's going to come up here uh, of when you let go of the, these two guys, what's going to be the effect of this recruiting class? Yeah, I mean, look, a legitimate concern. Obviously, you got to keep it together. Um, none of these, I think, have any impact on Lagway, which obviously is the number one consideration. I think you have for for any of the any of the conversations. Certainly, letting these guys go may have an impact on those guys, but there also might be an advantage to not making the bowl game this year. I hadn't really thought about it till now. But yeah. if you're if you don't make the bowl game, well, now you have the opportunity to um, to figure out who the replacements are going to be in time for early signing day. Yep. Um, you know, mo- mo- it always feels dirty when somebody comes and signs on early signing day and the day <laughs> after somebody announces that he's leaving. Um, you know, so at least I mean, it was one or the other, right? They were either going to yeah. sit there and try and pull the wool over the recruit's eyes and then have them transfer out basically the minute they got in. Cause the way the portal works now, you can't do that, right? You haven't, you don't have active capture of the recruits anymore after they sign their letter of intent. I don't know if there's a whole lot of value to having them sign the letter of intent. And given the way Florida has operated in the past, they probably would have let the guy out of his letter of intent if he wanted to, if in fact that was a deal breaker. So if you're going to make this change, make it now. It gives it gives Napier, it gives Armstrong, it gives all the different people who are going to be left the ability to reach out to these guys and say, "Look, we didn't want to we didn't want to look just have you sitting there on a fence, you know, or or have you angry after you've made a decision. Make the right decision for you, but but all the things that are, that made Florida the right decision in the first place are still the right decision. Except now you're going to play with people who are getting you in positions to succeed. Um, that's a story you can sell. It's not the best story to sell. Obviously, you'd love to have a defense that's shutting people down. It was it was actually kind of fun. It was what I thought in the first half. It was kind of fun to have a defense that I just didn't actively fear in that first half against Florida State. And then the last two drives, or the last drive of the first half, <laughs> first drive of the second half, that active fear came back. But to have a defense making plays, flying around, getting the swamp excited, all that sort of stuff was fun. Those sorts of those sorts of things. And again, I sort of go back to the guys who've already committed to Florida likely have committed because they envision what it looks like if they're able to turn this ship around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, people commit for relationships and NIL and and all sorts of other different reasons. But you, you got to know, like, these aren't guys who committed to Alabama because they wanted to make, you know, because they wanted to be the, the next in the line for the Crimson Tide. These are guys who wanted to make a difference at Florida. You can still sell that. And I think you can really effectively sell that, especially if you have the new guys in place before these guys actually commit. Uh, Nicholas Roca, thank you for the donation here. He goes, I'm concerned with the O-line, no help. As of now, in recruiting and bad portal evaluation, besides Torrance, I have low expectations for next year's group. Yep, I mean that's um, uh, uh, a concern here too. When you know we're talking about coaches, and you know, I would say at least one change there. I think the two O line coach system probably does go away here. Uh, we'll see if it's one or both of the offensive line coaches there. But uh, yeah, um, the transfers this year did certainly. Not uh, Cyrus Torrance level. Not many would have been, uh, but also you not not the impact I think we wanted from those guys. Uh, so hopefully, yeah, so that one's interesting because yeah. 
Um, well, so Torrance is not just like an afterthought. The dude was a yeah. unanimous All-American. So from an evaluation perspective, now obviously they had line of sight to him uh, before he came in, but but the dude was an All-American and was an unbelievable right guard. The other aspect is, and I don't know the details of everything that occurred, um, and certainly I'm sure the staff had had issues or had was was part of the reason why why it occurred but you think about it it did not appear to me that they were anticipating the departures of ethan white and michael mm-hmm. tarquin and not anticipating that would mean that you're not out there quote unquote tampering with other offensive linemen and then you had Keontae goodwin the transfer from kentucky who decided not to not to stay here for re- for familial reasons and he was really sort of the high upside transfer who came in so there i'm actually willing to give a little bit more grace especially when you look at the stats so i cited the stats on the defensive side of the ball and nothing has improved well this year things got a lot worse from year one to year two so they were 14th last year in yards per rush 81st this year they were 63rd in yards per pass 44th this year but one of the big Big things is they were 33rd in sacks allowed per game, only allowing one and a half, and 118th this year. Now we saw what happened the other day to poor Max Brown when they had to when they had to drop back and throw the ball, and Damian George just got launched back into him. So I'm not telling you that the offensive line is great, but yeah. but I think there's some extenuating circumstances there. And look, if Napier decides he wants to make a change, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cry about it. I'm not gonna sit there and say, hey, like that how dare you make that change? I still think you look at the performance and say it needs to be better. And, and, uh, and I think what plays into that a little bit too, is the talk of a, you know, NOC coming in. So more than likely you would think that change would come from getting rid of two offensive line coaches to get a. Sure. Well, I, well, look, I, I don't doubt that there's going to be some change, but I don't have like this burning desire to see a change there on the offensive line because I, I can Oh, understand. you're in rare company there. <laughs> well, just I can understand that there are nuances to what's going on there. Like I said, with the guys who transferred out, the yeah. guys who've come in. Now, look, you got to be able to manage your roster and you got to be able to protect your quarterback. And they couldn't they couldn't do that this year. But also, if you take the rushing yards from Anthony Richardson and add them into the rushing yards this year, the offensive line performance actually doesn't look as bad. And I think Richardson covered up for a lot of the deficiencies that they had last year as well. Now, do you blame that on the offensive line coaches? Do you blame that on the on the people who are coming in? If they get Jordan Seaton coming in, yeah. you got Seaton, you got Westfall, you bring in a couple of transfers, and then you know Cam Waits comes in and, and is a serviceable player. You got Waits and Barber at tackles. Um, you know, all of a sudden you got the makings of an offensive line. And we talk about continuity on the offensive line all the time, but continuity in teaching in the offensive line is probably Probably just as important as continuity of the guys who are out there. Um, you had Quack who was out all year long, pretty much. So you had Slaughter in. So uh, again, not an excuse. And if Napier decided he wanted to make a change, I'd be okay with it. But I'm not like sitting here with a pitchfork saying those guys need to leave, given what what happened in year one. And then you had a down year in year two. Now, if in year three the offensive line still is terrible, then absolutely. But but if it reverts back to form, which is I think something that's kind of likely, it's not like they forgot how to teach offensive line from year one to year two. The problem with the defense is I don't see anything that suggests they knew how to teach what they were trying to teach um, from year one to year two because it was just bad both years. Yeah, I think going along with that was probably – what is the benefit of having two offensive line coaches? I guess was probably where I would go with that. Um, if they decided to keep Rob Sale, I probably wouldn't be too disappointed with that. If that means you're going to make you know the other changes uh, on offense, you know, given uh, his background, his reputation, as you said, things have to change there. 
and, and get better for sure. Also, next year is year three. There's a lot of young offensive linemen Billy Napier has recruited that has not played yet. So if you're going to sell the development angle of your program and what you do, and that's what your coaches are going to be known for, then we should see that next year. Your young offensive linemen should start getting in, should start performing, should start producing uh, and you know, really make a difference in, in year three. So, you know, if we're if we're being sold on that timeline for this coaching staff, and time is being part of that, then development that we, we need to see some of the young recruited offensive linemen start showing up next year at, at the same time. But I did get a uh, I'll keep the DM random here because I don't want to give him out here. But um, the one bit of info I will put out about defensive changes right now is Napier's going to let Austin get his guys. Take that for what it's worth. <laughs> so, it turns um, out my read on the situation might have actually been uh, been, been pretty decent. There, might have been pretty decent there. Uh, and whoever sent that to me, I don't even think is listening right now. So that's just unsolicited info sent uh, from a very trusted source. Uh, maybe, maybe didn't mesh well on the defensive side uh, of the ball and not in a kind of negative way, just a total philosophical difference way. That's where I will leave that. Uh, so um, the, the lack of alignment was terrible. So yeah. anything that makes it better, man, anything that makes it better. Like I said, first three drives were a lot of fun to watch. All the way up into the safety. Well, even beyond that until, until the, until the, <laughs> until we had the second spitter and then, and then it was uh then it was a problem. Oh man. All right, there we go. Coaching changes right there. I don't think we're done. Probably uh, maybe more this week. I, I, I don't know because uh, I was talking about this too uh, on Twitter and somebody was saying, hey, where's these firings at? Where are these firings at? And that was around 5 o'clock. So uh, they only had to wait a couple more hours. But um, I would put. I was going to put the latest, and you kind of, Will, you kind of went to this, would be the early signing day. And how, how do you want to play that angle of it? But that was going to be the latest, I would think. So I think since you've already seen to – I would say in the coming days. As um, Billy Napier, we know about his process, his process of everything. So I'm sure he wants to do exit meetings and all that kind of stuff. And But yeah, tomorrow, next day, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if we're hearing some more coaching changes there for Florida. So uh, the episode kind of got turned upside down from what Will and I had originally planned to do tonight uh, with the with this coaching news. Hey, look, I'm, I'm 30 minutes into the episode. Hadn't hit, asked anybody to hit a like button yet. Subscribe to Gators Breakdown, all that good stuff we usually do at the beginning of the episode. We're just going with some breaking news here for you guys with the coaching change there at Florida. But yeah, hit that like button. Subscribe to Gators Breakdown if you haven't done so yet. Right here on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Hey, thanks for everybody also lately to uh, the Andrews Breakdown Plus members. Uh, a lot of you, a lot of, a lot of new members out there. So thank you for uh, hopping on there. You get those ad-free episodes, the Discord. I know you guys have been in on uh, having the conversations of the season, recruiting, the coaching stuff going on now. I mean, all that stuff. We talk about it right there all day, every day in the Discord. Link to join Gators Breakdown Plus is in the description. You get a newsletter, you get Q&As, you get all that good stuff right there. Gators breakdown plus and all right, well, let's keep it going. Um, it, you've kind of been around it a little bit, but um, any more FSU thoughts there? I mean, so it's, it's well, the I mean, same. Mike Brown, we haven't talked about, you know, we haven't got your thoughts mainly on that. Um, we got it kind of mainly on the defense because of what happened here with the coaching changes, but uh, all in all, anything else you want to take away and put out there for that game? 
I mean, I think so. I can't remember which game it was after. I think it might have been after the loss to Arkansas. I said I didn't know what the identity of the team is, mm-hmm. and that I thought that we fi- I I hoped we would figure that out over the last three games, and and the FSU game just sort of just sort of cemented to me that we still don't know what the identity of the team is. My main criticism of Napier, and I know a lot of people criticize that double reverse that turned into a disaster. Um, and I understand why you criticize it. My criticism of it is the o- it's the only time in the entire game he was aggressive. Hmm. And, you know, the, it's the fourth and one after the QB sneak where you don't go for it at the 17. Yeah. It's the fourth down on the next drive where you punt. It actually turns into a safety. And, again, in a vacuum, taking the points when you're when you're at the 17-yard line, analytically, it's a terrible decision. It's like a 4% drop in win percentage when you do that. And so I think you should always go for it. But if you're going to take the points there, if you're going to kick on fourth down, uh, in, on the next drive, if you're going to play everything really conservative with Brown, because everything was conservative with him, if you're going to play everything ultra, ultra, ultra conservative, then to go for that kill shot right there means that you decide, made a decision that's outside of the identity you decided to have for the game. And that, to me, is the thing that plagues this team plagues this program right now is that they have this process in place. They make a decision. Hey, this is how we're going to do it. And then in the emotion of the game, that all gets upset, right? Same thing. We have, we, <laughs> I wanted we to have, make a joke there. Okay. He didn't know how to act because the defense was playing good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I saw Tate Rotomaker too. And I, I, saw, I saw some of the things he was missing. And I was locking onto receivers and he threw a screen pass on Florida state's first drive that went right into Jadon Hill's hands. Yeah. It could have been an easy pick six. Like he was shaking kind of like Brown was the last couple of quarters. And look, I I get it. Brown's a freshman and and all those things, but it felt like there were opportunities. They ran that QB draw um, it, when they were deep in the red zone, down 14 to 12, because they knew they had the field goal. Now, look, they couldn't block Florida State up front either, but it was just a prime opportunity to use his legs as a decoy. He had just run a read option on a third down before for 10 yards and gotten a first down. Like, what was the deviation off of that, right? Like, is there an opportunity to run a jump pass? Is there an opportunity to do something that utilizes Brown's running ability and that Florida State had clearly focused on? And they had their safeties up. Like they were up really close to the line of scrimmage. And there was just never a deep shot that that they actually could get off. But I don't know that you needed to take a deep shot. I think you needed to deke the defense into thinking Brown was going to run and see if that would open some stuff up. And they never did that either. So, again, I sort of go back to I'm not sure that the process that's put in place is being stuck to during the game. And we see it like with all these opening drives where the opening drives with the scripts look great. Even Brown, I mean, leads them downfield. They have the one play that's blown up. I saw Seth Varnador of our Gators breakdown broke down, broke down that play um, specifically the end around to, to, to ETN that just got completely blown up and caused the, Cause them to have to kick a field goal on that first opening drive. So even that drive was pretty good. But once they get away from that script, it feels like they change from who their identity is. And look, Pierce Hall only has one catch. Mm-hmm. You had Trey Wilson has three catches. And I think the last one was the one where Brown got hit and the ball fluttered ball in the court. air and he catches it a yard short of the first down. So, I mean, that was what, like midway through the second quarter? Um, it was before the safety. So Wilson doesn't touch the ball in the second half. 
Pearsall only has the one catch, and obviously, if he hits him in the in the in the breadbasket on that one, it's a touchdown. But to me, that was the thing: is I, I just keep looking for what is the identity of your team going to be? Are you going to smash him in the face? Are you going to be finesse? And then, and then, how are you going to impose your will on an opponent at home? And that game was right there for the taking. Yep. Ronan Maker looked bad. Florida State couldn't run the ball, which against Florida is like you know it's the only <laughs> team all year that hasn't been able to run the ball against them. Um, and they just made just enough plays. And if you look at like the post game, um, college football data has post game win expectancy. Florida mm-hmm. had an eighty eight percent chance uh, to win that one. And it really came down to Florida had five opportunities inside the opponent's 40 and only had 13 points. Florida State had five opportunities inside the opponent's 40. And remember, one of those was the interception at the end. Um, so really only four, and they came away with 24 points. And that was the difference in the game is every time Florida State got down to that territory, they knew who they were. They took shots with Rodemaker on fourth down, they went for it on that fourth down, hit the slant. I mean, the defender there actually played that one great, but still hits the slant. Another completion down to Wilson on the rollout that, that sets it up at the end of the half when they could have settled for a field goal. There were multiple opportunities where they could have played it safe and they decided not to. And I just thought that was the difference is that is that Napier played in a except for that reverse played in a way where he was sitting there going, I'm going to play everything close to the vest. And with the defense, the way it is, I just don't think you can do that. I think you got to make a decision to be aggressive. And if it ends up being a 35 to 35 to seven loss, because you were aggressive, then so be it. But God, it's a heck of a lot better than just having these constant losses where it feels like we're you know death by a thousand cuts. And you're constantly waiting for the defense to just have one, one screw up. And, and then, I mean, to, to add to all that, the special team stuff, you had the 15-yard penalty, and this is mm. one I think it's overlooked. They had the 15-yard penalty on, I think they were blocking the guy out of bounds. I don't know. I couldn't hear the, hear yeah, the announcement that's right, yeah. from the official. They're blocking a guy out of bounds, and they were going to get great field position. Yep. And, and Pierce all calls a fair catch, I think, at like the 46-yard line, uh, the Florida 46-yard line. Instead, they start at the 31, and that drives them back. You have the two missed field goals both times. There was a loss of yardage beforehand. So all the things that the Florida experience under Napier has been, particularly this year, crop back up again. And so to me, I sort of look at it, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the identity of the team is that there's going to be you know, a gaffe <laughs> you know, that there's going to be a special teams gaffe in every game. There's going to be time management gaffes in every game. And we just have to start to expect that. And then, and then maybe I sort of rescind my comments about if, if staff changes affect recruits, because at the end of the day, then you're going to have to have the better Jimmy's and Joe's, because if you're going to, if you're going to gaff your way through these games, it's going to be a problem. All right. Yeah. Good stuff. And yeah, my, my last episode, I went in, you know, all that to, to you reviewed that game and, out, you know all that, and we'll kind of get into more of uh, you know direction and looking ahead and stuff. We we'll, we'll, can kind of go through the season a bit too, but yeah, well, I mean, it was there, like you said. That's the most disappointing part. I mean, as we kind of reviewed the season, there's a lot of coulda, shoulda, woulda games there to end this season. Uh, but uh, yeah, that one stung. Another loss to a rival, of course. The only win over a rival so far is that uh, Tennessee game, which is you know what we hoped we were getting this Saturday, this past Saturday in the swamp. But uh, started I, out that way, just wasn't there. I'll tell you, Dave. The losses on the road suck, and you know no loss is great. But there is nothing, nothing that will turn people against the coaching staff mm. quicker than having to file out of Ben Hill Griffin Stadium hearing that freaking chant. Like, that—that that is just 
brutal. And look, the prices for the for the game were high, and they were high because Florida State fans were coming there for a coronation. And they came in, and there were a ton of Florida yes. State fans there in the swamp. Yes, there were. And, and you know, to be able to shut those people up would have been an awesome. You know, we've talked about deposits and withdrawals for for the Billy Napier administration repeatedly here, and that would have been an awesome deposit for Napier to be able to walk out of there having ruined their season, having having kept them from going to the playoff, and and. You know, obviously the bull eligibility and all the other things as well. But there were a lot of things. There were a lot of deposits you could make. Instead, every single Florida fan walked out of that place hearing the Seminole chant. It was an enormous withdrawal, and that's just the reality. Is it is like I'm walking out of there as as a relatively analytics inclined person, going fire them all because I'm hearing that thing in the I'm hearing that thing in the hallway. I don't want my I want my kid to hear. You know, it's great to be a Florida Gators. You're falling out of there, and you know. That we'll go back again, and that's the way this is. And and you know, I, I'm already excited for Miami next year. But the reality, <laughs> you, you got you got to you got to acknowledge that it is an enormous withdrawal to make your your fans file out of their own home stadium, and then all the stuff with them like cutting up the sod and all that. Yeah. Afterwards, playing play, play, them playing their music over Tom Petty and We Are the Boys. I mean, yeah, it was uh, you know. Well, the good news is when we're good again, no sympathy. Like, go straight for the jugular immediately. Yeah. And uh, and hopefully that happens in the next year. All right. So there's a little bit of that. But, we'll, hey, we'll take a uh, – probably shouldn't. But we will take a look back at the season just a little bit. Then we'll kind of go through the season a bit. And uh, we'll, we'll look forward to, you know, recruiting, transfer portal, all that stuff. More coaching changes as well. Uh, a lot to look forward to uh, these next few weeks. But before we get there. Yeah, if you found a $100 bill on the ground, you wouldn't walk past it. So don't pass up a chance at easy cash with my bookie. My bookie has the biggest online selection of odds and contests to fill all your sports betting needs anytime, anywhere. So you can turn that sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Bet on the NFL, Conference Championship Week in college football this week, or play for a share of big cash prizes in the weekly blackjack tournaments. If you've been waiting for the right time to get in on the action, that time is now. Make your winning move today. Sign up at MyBookie using promo code GATERS to claim your deposit match redeemable up to $1,000. Again, that's promo code GATERS to claim your bonus. Experience the thrill of sports betting right from the comfort of your home. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. And hey, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And you can make it more wonderful by using America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. Your holiday shopping is made easier by shopping online, so why not make your meal prep easier too this holiday season? So skip that extra trip to the grocery store and instead get fresh ingredients and delicious recipes delivered right to your door from HelloFresh. The most wonderful time of the year is also the most delicious. Every bite of the holiday season with HelloFresh. Choose from over 45 weekly recipes, and over 100 curated picks from the HelloFresh market. One of my favorites now, just started trying it, the breakfast. I'm a big fan of those quick and easy turkey sauces and cheese egg bites. Pop them in the microwave, and you got a tasty hot breakfast really quick. So treat yourself today. Go to HelloFresh.com slash GatorsFree and use code GatorsFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash GatorsFree with code GatorsFree. 
Uh, well, of course, you know, we'll, we'll take a look back uh, at the season and kind of just, uh, you know, started off with that Thursday night game versus Utah. Everybody's excited. I think we got our precursor to this defense on the very first play from, from Utah. Um, you know, Florida hadn't had identified, you know, their playmakers yet with, uh, you know, uh, Trey Wilson, of course. We saw a little bit of it, saw him more throughout the season. Uh, Arliss Boardingham's middle of the season stretch there. I uh, hadn't gotten to that point yet, but of course, started the season off with a loss there at Utah. And then, and of course, bounced back, had the big win over Tennessee. And I, I still go back to that game, Will, because I still remember. And of course, it was a theme for us throughout the offseason. Billy Napier's in the locker room after that game, telling the players right away, hey, we did this last year, too. We have momentum. We had momentum. We had momentum. We couldn't capitalize on it. And I think I text you. I probably text so many other people. I mean, sitting in the stadium again Saturday night and seeing how that game played out, uh, we'll go back to that Tennessee game. Then a couple weeks later, that Kentucky game, under Billy Napier so far, Florida is allergic to momentum. Uh, every time it seems like you have something going your way, something happens to take it away. Uh, a lot of it's self-inflicted, but it's just the way it's been, especially in the season on the field. Hopefully recruiting's not that way either uh, with the way we'll see how this class finishes. But, you know, Will, I think, you know, kind of just going back to maybe that first quarter of the season, it was it was there. You had some momentum, but once again, fell apart. Yeah, I mean, so... So we all knew that the first part of the season was key. And honestly, after they got through the first part of the season at what was it, five and two? Five and two. You're, you're sitting there going, There you go again. Momentum. Five and two. You had some momentum. Well, and this is this is where the analytics person in me does come out and say momentum is a myth. Like it doesn't exist. <laughs> and it turns out that when you play crap teams and get wins, like that maybe makes people feel good and you can pat your pat people on the back, but they played a bunch of ranked teams in the final stretch and lost the one game to the team that wasn't ranked and wasn't very good. And that losing that game immediately put them, put them in a situation where they were fighting uphill. Now, you know, Utah, it turns out has, you know, a good team, definitely not a great team out there out West. Um, especially since rising never came back. Um, you know, the yeah. Utah, Utah was limited in terms of how good they were. Kentucky, what they end up seven and five. So they weren't a great team and they absolutely bulldozed Florida. Georgia, that was a joke. We were never going to beat the Bulldogs this year, given, given what we, given what we started to see on the field. But then you had the Missouri game that was close. You had the opportunity. You had the Florida State game that was close. You had the opportunity and just don't get the job done. And, and those are sort of, that's the way things work is when you play a bunch of close games, there are going to be times where you don't get the job done. And, and how do you avoid those sorts of things. Um, to me, the 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 biggest tell in all that stuff is the game against Charlotte. I thought the Charlotte game was really mm. close. I thought that they didn't, and maybe even the Vanderbilt game too. That was a lot closer than what the final score indicated. And those two games did two things. One is you had to fight and play four quarters in games that you really would have rather sort of had a rest. And the other part is is guys like Max Brown and a bunch of the other true freshmen didn't get an opportunity to go out there and play and get reps in a game where Florida already was winning. And so then when the injuries started to pile up and you started to have to bring some of those guys out onto the field, now we're talking about youth and youthful mistakes and all these sorts of things, rather than talking about guys who've already been out there, have experienced that time, and have 
and have proven at least, you know, at least have gotten used to the speed and the used to the calls and used to those sorts of things, right? I mean, you have Shamar James go down. It was very noticeable, a drop-off at linebacker. Would there have been a drop-off regardless? Absolutely. But no one had been playing middle linebacker making defensive calls because James had been doing it all year long because you needed him out there because all those games were close. So um, to me, that, that that's sort of the tell. And you got to beat the teams that are definitely worse than you. And you got to beat them bad. You got to give every more than anything. I think for us, because it gives us a signal that that the team is able to take care of business when they're a vastly superior team. Only time I felt like they did that this year was against McNeese, and I think it came back to bite them there on the second half of the schedule. Well, I mean, last win mid October. <laughs> And it was a miracle win over South Carolina. Because a lot of people will point to this team is just a play away from being seven and five. They're also a play away from being four and eight. Yep. And they're a bad first half from Tennessee away from being even worse, right? I I think there's – you can always make those justifications, and it's fine. And actually, I think there are times when you do it. So the time that I do it is – so there's there's an old concept that's typically used in baseball. It's called the Pythagorean expectation. And basically what you do is you look at points for and points against, and then you project what your expected winning – winning percentage should be. And so there are oftentimes you can do this in the NFL and you can do it in, in major league baseball too, and sort of predict, all right, which teams did well this year, but didn't see it in their record. And so we should expect them to take a leap next year. There's none of that at Florida. So Florida gave up 26 or scored 26 points, 26 and a half points per game against FBS opponents, 29 and a half points they gave up, which means you should expect a 45% winning percentage. And you in a 12-game schedule with one cupcake, you should expect them to go 6-6. Six and six. So they underperformed by a game. In fact, it'd be 5.9 and 6.1. But last year, they gave up tw- or they scored 27.7 points, gave up 29.8. You would have expected them, again, with one cupcake to win 6.1 games. So, you know, it, you would expect Florida to be 12-12 and 12 under Napier instead of 11-13. and 13. But, I mean, are we real? We're splitting hairs at this right. point in terms of what the, they're getting what they deserve, I guess is sort of my point. And um, it's it's not a matter of luck. It's not a matter of like you can point to specific areas in the games and say it's a matter of luck. But the reality is, is each of those games, if you go back and look at the mistakes that Florida made that kept the opposition in the game, like those mistakes are all critical. And whether it's you know completely botching a defense that allows the opening play of the game to go for 70 yards against Utah, whether it's having two threes on the field on a punt, whether it's missing field goals, whether it's false starts, whether whether it's holding penalties, whether it's you know spitting on somebody, like all those different things in each game contribute to that sort of thing. And not only do they contribute to losing a one-score game, but they contribute to losing a game that's not a one-score game, right? Because it would have been a close game. You might have had an opportunity, and instead you don't. So Florida makes those two field goals, and if they don't have the spitting penalty, is the game against Florida State way, way closer? Do they maybe even come away with the win? Um, so I have a hard time sitting there looking at it going, oh, we're only a few plays away from being eight and four when I'm sitting there going, yeah, but the plays that could have made us eight and four are the ones that are just self-inflicted. And, you know, those are the things you can control. Napier's talked all year about Gators doing stuff that hurt Gators. Well, that's just never ended. And so you are who you are. And the point, you know, the point totals say that this is a five and seven or a six and six team. And that's exactly where they wound up. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the last month of the season. Like, it's five and two going into Georgia, like I said, and you had some positive feeling, and a lot of it was because you came back and won somehow versus South Carolina. Um, but look, like you said, none of us really expected Georgia, but then the disappointment of the Arkansas game, like I said, that was rock bottom for me. You could bring me up, but you couldn't really get me any lower than that uh, until you faced a backup quarterback versus Florida State. <laughs> you know, something I really didn't envision there. Uh, but you had, to, but that's the most frustrating part. You had those coulda, shoulda, woulda games. Uh, you still had a chance somehow versus Missouri. You still had a chance somehow versus Florida State, and just weren't able to. Like, why can't why can't Florida be the team? And I said this the other day to to overcome the expectations. You know, besides the Tennessee game uh, where we you know that upset earlier in the season. You know, okay, why why couldn't you? And you pretty much explained why, but you know why couldn't Florida be that team right here in the last month of the season? Like, but do what South Carolina did last year. You know, get your brains beat in by Florida and then go on to beat Tennessee, go on to beat Clemson, which would have been very similar to Florida turning it around and beating Missouri and beating Florida State this year when the opportunity was staring you right there in the face to do so. Uh, and you just, you know, weren't able to do it. So hopefully, you know, that's um, the, the last time we'll have to talk about a season like this. But, uh, you know, it does uh, lend itself into, you know, what do we look for, Will, in these next few weeks to get us ready for next season? And, of course, I think right away, of course, signing day, we'll, we'll wait on that. We've talked a lot of recruiting uh, in the last few months during the season and stuff as well. But transfer portal, Will, uh, of course. Um, <laughs> look, this is the first full Monday. and we'll get, Of course, we got conference championship weekend this weekend. Uh, but a lot of team seasons are over or, or getting over because they don't have a game this weekend. And, Every time you go on social media right now, you see so-and-so has entered the transfer portal. <laughs> and there's all kinds of targets in that we know. Uh, so what are you looking for the most, I guess, in the transfer portal? And I'm looking you probably at positions. You know, I think offensive line probably has to be hit again um, at the tackle spots, probably, you know, possibly there to either – get some more competition, get some more instant impact, you know, how much they believe in Cam Waits right now uh, and him bouncing back from the Achilles injury. Played some good this year. Is Austin Barber going to be back this year? I think that's, you know, they got to figure out who's going to stay first, uh, I think, is, is part of the equation. Uh, wide receiver, I think. You know, I, I think you've tried to go get a, a playmaker to go along with Wilson, uh, a guy that can be their downfield threat, your outside threat at receiver. Go to the other side of the ball in defense uh, is – bringing as many instant impact guys as you can because you're going to need them, but linebacker for sure. Uh, Florida absolutely needs an edge maybe as well with Princely, uh, Pr Princely leaving. I think you need some proven edge players uh, if you can get there. You can never have too many guys in the middle either, so I, I expect in the front seven Florida to be pretty active and heavy in the transfer portal. Safety, uh, I think. I know you've got some young options right now, uh, but Kamari Wilson, you know, looks like he's on the way out. Um, you know what? Right now, you're banking on Castell returning, Thornton returning, and hopefully, even with these changes, Phil to me is on his way in next year. Uh, but I think you still, you know, we went and got Moten last year from Michigan. He barely played for Florida this year uh, with as many snaps as he's played for Michigan over the last two years. So, I mean, yeah, you, I, I think you can see there's there's plenty, plenty of opportunity for Billy Napier, this staff, to be hot and heavy in the transfer portal some of these guys need to be instant impacts. You know, if 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 he truly is on a quote unquote hot seat, if he's coaching for his job next year, most of these pickups got to be guys you can rely on to make a difference next year. Well, I think that's actually maybe the key that that you just said there is that I don't necessarily 
think it matters where you bring in people from a positional standpoint mm, because point. everything, especially on the defensive side of the ball, needs to improve. Um, and, and if you look at last year's transfers, you've got Lindell Hudson, you got Moten, who you already mentioned, you got Keontae Goodwin, who never played for Florida, you got Manny Nunner, you got Cam Carroll, who was injured, obviously, you got Damian George, who struggled at, at tackle, you got Mazuka, who wasn't a difference maker at guard, Deuce Spurlock didn't play a lot, Taraja Mitchell was a backup until guys started going down. Cam Jackson played up front, but wasn't a difference maker. And then you got Mertz, who played pretty well. And then you got Caleb Banks, who was starting next to Jackson. Again, played decently, but not a difference maker. So I look at that and go, what they need is they need difference makers. And all those guys transferred because they were backups everywhere, except for maybe Mertz. Right? I think Mertz might have – I mean, he was obviously looking for a fresh start given the coaching changes that were going on at Wisconsin, given what he'd already done at Wisconsin. But I don't think it's a coincidence that the guy who was a real starter transfers and then ends up being the best guy from from a performance perspective. And if you start looking at the guys who have been good as transfers in the past, Ricky Pearsall was a starter at Arizona State and then transfers to Florida and immediately jumps in. You think about guys like uh, Trevon Grimes. That was a guy who was going to start at at Ohio State and ends up at Florida. Think about Van Jefferson, was a guy at Old Miss who was playing significant playing time, comes to Florida and, and plays a lot as well. So the win- yeah, yeah, Cam Jackson as a starter at Memphis. Yeah, um, so, and and I think probably again out of production perspective, right. Jackson was somebody who provided quite a bit of production. Uh, would would we've liked to have seen more? Absolutely, but yeah. we'd like to have seen more across the board for the defense. But my my point is is that if you're going after a guy like George, who's a backup at Alabama. I don't think that's a guy who comes in as a difference maker. I think that's what we see. And I haven't gone back and looked extensively at the transfer portal. Nick Knudsen did in our preseason magazine all the transfers who come into Florida. And essentially what it boiled down to is it's just as big a crapshoot as high school recruiting. Maybe not. If, if not, maybe more. And so the coaching changes that are going on at places like Texas A&M and other places, if there are starters who are leaving, I think that's what I want to see. Grenard just mentioned, uh, um, you know, Q Lee just mentioned in the mm-hmm. chat. Grenard was a guy who started at Louisville and then bring him down to Florida. And all of a sudden he's, he's an elite guy out there on the edge um, in terms of production, where they need it, defensive line, they need pressure up the middle. They need a guy who can actually make the quarterback squirm who's in that nose tackle, D-end area, um, you know, where where it's banging the center, getting past the center. I mean, how many times did we see the other night where Florida State was just straight in Max Brown's face right up the middle? In fact, that QB draw I mentioned earlier, Mizuka got tossed aside. And the play was probably there if he'd have blocked it well, but instead he gets tossed aside. Brown's got nowhere to go. Um, we never do that. <laughs> There's the, I I can't remember a play since Adam Schuler left where Florida actually really made a play up front at defensive tackle where they were throwing a center aside and you see that two three times a game for most teams because it's hard to be a center in the SEC especially if you get matched up one on one with a guy who's hitting the gap to your side and we don't seem to ever be able to take advantage of that so to me that's the thing is if you're going to try you build from the inside out when it comes to a defense and. You, turnovers come from making the quarterback antsy and not giving him the ability to step up and Florida just I mean you look at any of the pockets that these guys have been throwing from for the past two years and it's been a really well-developed pocket where nobody's getting pushed up front and Florida's gonna have to figure that out and if they can do that through the transfer portal that's where I'd go first I get it we want a guy coming off the edge getting sacks but um, the reality is that that looks flashy 
but the thing that wins is the guy up front. And we see this with Georgia every year. Georgia doesn't really get a ton of sacks year over year over year, but mm-hmm. they don't give up any any ground up front. They're re- always really, really good against the run up front. And then the quarterback never has anywhere to go when the defensive ends are coming around the edge. So maybe they don't get there, but the ball gets thrown away, and then their defensive backs have the opportunity to make, turn it into a turnover, especially because they've usually got really athletic linebackers who can then make a play as well. So um, you know, to me, that's it. Defensive line, it's always the it's always the priority on any defense and Florida's defensive line just has not been they don't they, they haven't generated havoc now for years mm. it's gonna be something that has to change yeah i went outside you went inside will so before we wrap up this episode i'll just go through the names here uh jalen humphreys is on the roster of course you wouldn't expect him to be uh, on the roster next year desmond watson is he a transfer candidate cam jackson i know he got his senior bowl package in today he can come back, but I don't think he will. Uh, so that leaves, uh, of course, Chris McClellan. You know, Tyreek Sapp. Does Tyreek Sapp now play, hopefully, with Justice Boone being healthy next year? Does he slide back into a more natural spot where he takes a step next year? Uh, of course, um, uh, Caleb Banks, uh, Jamari Lyons. And then you have, um, you know, I, I think the worry here, Real Norman probably looks like to be on his way out. A true freshman for Florida this past year has not played uh, really at all this year from everything I can gather uh, transfer portal candidate already as a true freshman. Uh, so, you know, you lose some depth from the last recruiting class. Um, so there's your, you know, middle. Yeah. You need some help there. Florida needs to go hit the portal there to, to add to that uh, group of players. And then of course, Princely on his way out at edge, uh, you get justice boom, but he's more the defensive end, uh, true defensive end there. So who's going to be your straight up edge pass rusher like Princely was this past year. Um, you know, Pyburn, he'll come back from injury, but he's not that uh, at this. I don't know if he'll ever develop into a every down guy you count on as a pass rusher. Uh, Kelby Collins, Cameron James, TJ Searcy are, are other names that you'll bring up at, at that. So, yeah, I think, you know, breaking it down at defensive line, breaking it down at edge, I think Florida needs some help right up front, uh, whether it be inside and outside there, Will. So, yeah, as you said, man, um, need all the help they can get hey, in the trenches, honestly, on, on both sides of the ball. Uh, I think Q, Q, he put it back in here, too. He goes, if every portal acquisition is offensive line and defensive line, he's happy. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I just look at it and I say, especially on the defensive side of the ball, um, if you bring in a guy who played as a starter at a Power 5 school last year, would you slide him in in front of everybody who was out there this year? I mean, so if you were to bring in a guy in the portal who was a starter at a power five school last year, is there any reason that that guy wouldn't get slid in in front of the guy who's who was starting this year for Florida, given the performance on the field? Given given the statistical profile on the field, like no, you know, we talked about early in the episode that nobody's nobody's uh, job is safe on the defense you know, on the staff. But I mean, why would your job be safe if you were a player on the defense either? Like again, I mean, I think it's all symbiotic, and you know, look, people are going to point fingers and blame and all sorts of stuff. But at the end of the day, if you had a difference making defensive tackle who could get in there and blow things up. Austin Armstrong and Corey Raymond and and Spencer would all look way, way better. And we haven't seen that yet. So it's going to have to come from either one of the guys who was a true freshman this year, one of the guys who's a recruit, though obviously it doesn't look like there's like a difference-making interior defensive lineman in the, in the class, at least not yet, um, or it's going to have to come through the portal. And so I just look at it and I go, if, if power five starter, like find a guy who is a power five starter who 
you know, for whatever reason is deciding that it's not the right place for him. And, you know, whether it was a coaching change, whether it was a position coach change, the same thing that people are going to target Florida's guys for, right? Mm -hmm. That some of these young guys, you mentioned Norman, like people are going to go target him because they had an evaluation on him when he was coming out of high school. Spencer's let go. Maybe he's not happy with his playing time. Maybe he's not happy with the, with the, the coaching changes that are going on. Okay. There's an opportunity to go get that guy that exists everywhere else too. And I saw Nick Delatore put something out, I think, today about scholarships. Like, f- just from a scholarship perspective, Florida's going to be in a crunch given who they want to bring in through the portal. So you don't really want to freak out if there's people leaving. There's going to be people leaving. Yeah. And, you know, if this was a top 10 defense and you had defensive players leaving, I'd be a little bit worried about it. But given that it's a bottom 10 defense and you've got players leaving who weren't really breaking into the starting in, into the, into the starting role, I'm, I'm not all that heartbroken about it, to be honest. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. Um, from here, plenty, uh, man, this week should be hot and heavy coaching changes portal. And look, I mean, as you said earlier, you brought up the you brought up the word tampering. Hey, we know what happens. And like I said, I, I brought it up last episode too. guys on Florida's roster are getting tampered with. So yeah, we know, we know what's happening. Oh, Got to tamper better than other people, man. That's the, that's the thing. <laughs> Here's the like, thing about the trip portal, too. Yeah, uh, kind of going along with that. People were like, oh, Florida's got to get this guy. Florida's not going to be the only one going after these guys. <laughs> I mean, it's, well, it's, it's just not like if they're in the portal, Florida can automatically get them. It's, I think the point is Florida should already have gotten the guy, right? Like the, the, the reality is, is that the probably. way this stuff works, and you know this when you get hired as a college football coach, is that you're going to be bending the rules because that's the only way you actually win. And maybe even outright breaking the rules. And, you know, look, like there's a reason Hugh Freeze is kicking butt over there on the recruiting trail at at, uh, at Auburn. And it's not because he all of a sudden has gone straight and narrow after his time at Old Miss. And, but 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 people still love coming for him because he's a Pied Piper. No, nah, he's got a way of doing things. And that way of doing things is right on the edge of those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, so look. They should already know who's coming. They should already know who's out there. They've got an army of people to analyze this to know who leaves what program when different coaches get let go. And, which uh, which has not been top-notch, by the way, the last couple of years. Maybe true, but uh, they have the organization. And Look, I think at the end of the day, it's really clear that Billy Napier is going to be given year three, maybe even year four for all of this sort of stuff. And so, um, you know, if that's the case, then we'll have a full set of data to evaluate. And at some point, there will be no one to point to other than Billy Napier. But in the meantime, um, they, the operation, I think when we think about NIL last year, right around this time of year, NIL was a mess. Right, you think about Jaden Rashada and all the different stuff that went on with that, and I was a mess. I think that's gotten fixed, or at least if you talk to people who who know what's going on in the program, that's gotten fixed. So if you look at the transfer portal and you look at sort of where they were, okay, have they gotten that fixed now as well? Now you'd love to have people coming in running from the start and not necessarily be having to fix things all the time. But hey, if it's broken, you gotta get it fixed, and hopefully they're on the way to getting that done. Yep, so officially the portal one week from today. Uh, well, when we get together today, I expect Florida to have 10 guys already signed, sealed, delivered in the transfer portal 8.30 next Monday night. <laughs> uh, but no, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Uh, this next week uh, should be fun keeping up with that. Of course, guys that are playing for teams in conference championship games, of course, will probably be waiting until next week. So look, not everybody's going to go in next Monday and out next Monday. <laughs> so uh, this is going to be uh, a few-week process. I think it's what? Is it 30 days for the first window? 
Yeah, uh, something like that. Yeah, I, yeah, think, yeah, I forget. Yeah. But but I think what what we saw last year is anybody who was of any significance was in, was first, in that first window. Yeah. So, you, you know, we all sort of sat there and said, well, maybe they're just waiting to add people in the second. And the answer is no. The answer was that they just missed in the first in the first segment. And, uh, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen this year. Yeah, it could change this year with that thought it, with with the portal window, because I, I know it's shorter. Um, but yeah, I forget. Uh, it's supposed to you know be done to help the coaches out. So I forgot. I was trying to find it quickly. Oh well, I don't want to keep people hanging on here. But uh, oh well, I think it is within the first thirty days. I think yeah, I think it's. I think this first one's thirty days. Uh, and then I think the one in the spring is fifteen. If I'm remembering off the top of my head. Ah, oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, thirty days in the fall. Beginning seven days after a sports championship selection and fifth I don't know when the day of this was, but well, that was from twenty twenty three. Yeah. So the first first one's thirty and then the second one's fifteen. So forty five total days. Um, yeah. Thirty days in this first window is can is enough time. So we I think going back to your point, yeah, this first window is gonna be probably a big majority uh, of where it comes from and the impact that you get from there. So well, uh, perhaps the biggest form of tampering that's going to be important is making sure that DJ Lagway gets the playbook. So. <laughs> hey, he was already pra- um, credit to him. He was already practicing with a a ball that Florida has. Um, so it's. Uh, I just missed him. He was at one of the tailgates. I got invited to, and by the time I got to the tailgate, he had just walked. Out. I know. Yeah, Mike, I was really disappointed. So. Mike reached out to me the day as well. He goes, "Did you show up by the time Lagway was there?" I was like, "Nah, I just missed him." So. Uh, it's always that way, but hey, yeah. we, won't, we won't miss him next year. Hopefully, he'll be out there slinging the ball all over the swamp. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, well, hey, man, another season down. A lot of fun covering these Gators with you, even though the results were not the 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 best. But uh, you and I, for since 2017, right? We got his breakdown started in 2016. You jumped on in 2017. We did the season. We've done every season since then. Every Monday night, right here on Gators Breakdown. Uh, so, hey, man, it was been, it been a lot of fun covering these covering this team with you. Uh, but, man, hopefully some more wins. Hopefully some more wins down the road. Yeah, well, it's a good thing we didn't start before then because people would be asking <laughs> us to quit because they have not been good since at least I've come on the show. But I think I, so I came on right. fun in those mulling years. But. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I came on right before the McElwain disaster against Michigan. <laughs> and uh, so, hey, it's at least uphill from there, I guess. But, uh, no, nah, I mean, look. You, you've been generous enough to, to invite me onto this platform, and I very much appreciate that. But you, know, you and I have become friends through all this stuff too, and that's yeah. what this is really about, right? And that was that was the thing that struck me as I was there this weekend is is the number of people who I've become friends with through what we're doing here, and who have become friends tangentially through what we're doing here, right? So it's not just they know us; it's that they've been to events or they've done other things or they've participated in in the Gators Breakdown Plus message board or whatever, and those people. People are connecting at these sorts of events too, so so that's yeah. cool to see. And and look, I mean, we're Gators through and through. College football is different than the pros. You know, you, you don't just go off and go, oh well, I'm going to be a homer and go go root for that team over there because you know they happen to be winning, or be a front runner and root for that team over there because they happen to be winning. You know, the, 
you know, like when you see somebody who's a Cowboys fan, a Duke fan, a Lakers fan, and, uh, you know, a, a, a Dodgers fan or something, you're like, okay, well, what's going on here? And, you know, you don't see that in college football. You're, you're a Florida fan, hate Georgia, hate Florida State, hate Tennessee, and that's just the way it is. And there's a unique there's a unique bond to that. So it's, it's always cool to be able to do this, man. And, and uh, it's a privilege, and I look forward to doing it all offseason as well. But, uh, but uh, like I said, I can't wait for Miami. Next year's going to be brutal schedule, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. We'll we'll turn to play. I think in December, I heard the SEC is supposed to announce announce when the games will be played next year. So we'll have that to look forward to in the coming weeks as well. But also uh, a little more breaking news. Jacob Rudner of 24-7 Sports is reporting Mark Hockey will be retained, the Gator strength and conditioning coach. So I know that's a hot one as well that's out there. And we talked about tackling issues and issues on defense. And so uh offensive line as well. Hey, look, just the trenches in general. So I know that one's going to – and some of the injuries Florida had this year as well. Uh, you know, Injuries did pile up in certain areas, um, b- body parts areas and uh, areas of the team. So it uh, looks like uh, – so Jacob Rudner's reporting, uh, just saw it on uh, Twitter. So well, there we go. It's been that kind of year, man. I have an upper body injury at this point. So, uh, you know, it's like it just feels like there have been plenty of people with, with upper body injuries all year long. And, uh, you know, look, I know that was a controversial one, but you can't change that, everybody. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens as things go. And, and again, I think you let Napier and Armstrong and, and the people in charge there make the make the decisions they're going to make, and then we evaluate them next season. Look, if, if he's not going to make the right changes in the staff, and if they're not going to get the players in there, and if they're not going to develop them, then it's going to be a relatively short rest of the tenure, and you know we'll be the ones who are who are bringing you an honest assessment of that too. So um, nothing we can do but sit back and sort of talk about the changes that they make and whether we like it or not. And I, again, I sort of look at that and go, is hockey making a major difference? I don't know, but you know Napier clearly believes in him, and so he's going to go down with the guys that he thinks he needs to go down with. Yep. That, that pretty much the brunt of it right there. So, all right, Will. Thanks so much, man. We'll uh, have a safe trip back to Philadelphia on your uh, coming back from Florida. And uh, it was good, good hanging out with you on Saturday. Don't don't make it so long next time. Absolutely. <laughs> Got to get down for more next year. All right. Will Miles, you can find him with the site, readreaction.com on YouTube at Read and Reaction there with Nick Knudsen. For Stand Up and Holler, I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown.